Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hey, it's Rob Riggle. And Sarah Tiana. And you are listening to Riggle's Pick. Yeah, and a ham horn, and uh, we have a new <laughs> podcast. You can find our show exclusively on the Podcast One app on podcastonesports.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Every Thursday, we're going to sit around and we're going to talk about the things that really excite us, like life, comedy, sports, a lot of sports. Uh, Ourselves. A, a lot of Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Kim Jong-un. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. It's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you join us. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Don't forget to uh, check out the Swingin' Sounds. Go to drdrew.com. Check out uh, those that support us. Don't forget my friends at Hydrolite. I love those guys. They got us through the holidays this year. <laughs> they have a new thing coming out. Uh, I don't really think it's out yet, but it's insanely good. It's a volume replacement that you can get with an IV that you can get orally. It's a product I wish I – well, I intended to invent. They got there first, so good on them. Guest today is Diane Valentine. Diane's television show is To Roam for Love. Sundays at 9 on Bravo. And the book is Going the Distance for Love, 22 Tips on Handling Your Issues and Finding Love, whatever it may be. Uh, you know Diane. We'll say hi first. How are you? Hi, Dr. Drew. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Diane has worked as a wedding and event planner, interior designer, matchmaker, all kinds of different uh, jobs, including florist. You invented the Diane, the <laughs> Valentine Cuff. So this this is a quite a life. You know, my life revolves around love. I want to dig into it. So where'd you grow up? I'm from Oakland, California. Oakland. I'm a Bay Area girl. And how did you get into all this stuff? How did that happen to you? Well, you know, I started my company in high school, and I started designing in high school. In, in That's high crazy. school, good for you. Started designing and planning weddings, and I thought it would just kind of help pay my way through college. Well, no, well, slow down. Now you're so you're, here. You are a high school kid, yes. and and you and people gave you money to plan their they weddings. Did. I mean, they that's, did. isn't that kind of incredible in retrospect? Well, you know. Yes, it is. Right? Yes, it is. I do think I was ahead of my time. Clearly. I was certainly ahead of the industry before designing and planning weddings was even a career. Nope. I kind of said, I want to do this. And so how did you see that? that? That's kind of interesting. How did you see? I mean, that's an interesting story, right? That you saw something yeah, and realized I, there was a market for it. Did you just sort of an instinct you had or did you put I, something together? I think together? for as long as I can remember, I've been in love with love. And so, so you liked weddings. my you desire sort of was it. always just to be around love, not to necessarily be a wedding designer or a wedding planner or anything like that. I just wanted to be around love. I wanted to be around people in love. Explain that to me. How did you know that? And Did you have a love addiction? <laughs> Were you in and out of relationships too much as a kid? How did that manifest? No, it's interesting you would ask that question. No one ever has. But it's really the summer of 1977 that changed my life forever. What happened? What happened? My parents got divorced. And the life that I knew and my definition of love and family was suddenly just shattered. How old were you then? Seven. 
Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I was seven years old. I remember, remember it so vividly, and it changed my life forever. And so from that moment on, I was just so obsessed with love. So let's dig into that even mm-hmm. a little further. So um, what would you say to parents that sort of glibly get divorced and don't really understand or think about the impact it has on kids? You know, uh, in hindsight now, I, I clearly understand divorce because I think sometimes people stay together for kids or they stay together thinking it's for the kids or thinking they need to keep the family together. But really, if the relationship is gone and it's toxic, it's often better if people can split and learn how to co-parent as two functioning adult great co-parents. For sure if it's toxic. But if it's just short of toxic, wouldn't you, as your seven-year-old self, have wished you – let's say they weren't truly toxic – wouldn't you have wished as that seven-year-old that they stayed together? I think uh, as seven years old, absolutely, I wanted my parents to stay together. As an adult and understanding how the relationship had just kind of, you know, fallen apart, dissolved, they had fallen out of love, all of those things, I think it was best um, for them to separate. And I, I applaud my mother for having the courage to even do that. Now, I think what was devastating for me is that no one talked about the divorce. Mm. It was just, just I went away for the summer and I came back home and I came back home to a different home. Wow. And everything was different and, and dad was mourned, gone. Mourned that. Yeah. And I was just like, well, what happened and where did he go? Loss. And why do we live in this great condo when we had this amazing house and a oh. pool and we had dogs and suddenly it was just all gone and no one really ever discuss it. Do your brothers and sisters? I do. I have two older sisters and they both, uh, they're nine and 10 years older than me. Uh, so they were both gone. They were out. They were out of the house. And, you know, and I was just kind of like there, like, okay, what happened to this family thing? You know, it's just, it's just gone. So that's what I think was detrimental. I remember a friend of mine's son who was about that age that you were when your parents split. She, the mom was trying to have a conversation with the son about divorce and she said, uh, you know, honey, I, we're not, I'm not happy with your dad anymore. Don't you want me to be happy? And he said, yeah, of course I want you to be happy, but don't you want me to be happy? Isn't my <laughs> happiness important? And if my happiness is important, you will stay together and work this out. And I thought, wow, wow seven, eight-year-olds can be quite yeah, quite clairvoyant yeah. In, their, in their assessments. Of For things. sure. I, I, don't, I don't know if two adults – where relationship has really fallen apart. I don't know if it does a disservice to the kids or an advantage to the kids because I've seen both si- kinds of well, scenarios. Well, if it's toxic, no yeah. doubt. No, no one argues about that. You know? But it, it's it's about putting time into maintaining a family because kids, that yes. what you were in love with was that was family. Was the family. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the kids perceive families and it's, yes. it's critical to their yes. sense of self and wholeness and security Absolutely. and everything else. Absolutely. But in your case, you, you found a creative solution, which is amazing. Yes. <laughs> and, and your solution was to sort of create this thing. And, w- and what did love, love yeah. mean to you as you sort of moved towards high school? What did that mean? You know, it just meant finding my own family. It was creating family wherever I was. It was – Did you have like some uh, TV shows or Disney films or something that sort of led – you know, sort no. of, or books or anything. No, no, that sort no. Of gave you that. And, and the reason I didn't, I think, as a as a young black girl growing up, there weren't a lot of black families to aspire to be on television. I mean, we had the Cosby Show, but I was an adult by the time you know that came around. That's brutal. So as a young black girl, mm. it's not like I looked up to anybody on TV. Sure, the Brady Bunch was good, but they didn't look like me. No, you know, yeah, <laughs> at all. So for me, it was about. How does what does love look like? 
And for me, I was able to express it creatively. Mm-hmm. And I was able to paint this vivid picture for people in love of what I felt their love looked like, at least for that moment in time. It, it may be impossible. Can you describe what that looks like? Um, it's um, interesting. Let's see. It's it's serene. Um, it's calming. It is beautiful. It's jubilant. It's exciting. Um, it's pure. It's that's enough. That's good. And and, the, <laughs> and then you bring that to life for somebody in the, in a wedding. Yes. Now in your, I, I've got a million other questions. Now in in the book, you're talking about handling issues. Yes. How did you learn how to do that? Because of all of the work I think that I've done over the years with women that are in love, that are fallen in love, fallen out of love, calling on me to help them express their love, define their love, create what it looks like. And I've seen a lot of people make really good decisions when it comes to love and really bad decisions when it comes to love. Give me an example of a good decision. Um, a good decision is you meet a guy, you fall in love, you date for four years, you get engaged. You have a really solid friendship and foundation for a marriage, and then you get married. A really bad decision is you meet a guy, you fall in love. Within a year, you have met, you've fallen in love, you've moved in together, you're engaged, and you're married. Right. So that impulsive, yes. really, it's, that's falling in lust almost. Yes, more than even absolutely. It's very impulsive. It is. And, it, and some people would say the year is not long enough. It, like, you know, I, I, we all know people that have done it in weeks or months. Yes. Which, again, is. Almost it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy you to me. You can't know somebody. You cannot possibly know someone. Not even in a year can you really know someone. And and I think that this this concept of, of marriage, people take it so lightly. You know what I mean? Let's get married. It's so easy to get married. And they forget the fact that when you pledge your life to somebody for forever, forever is a really long time. Not only that, but to go back to your sort of fantasy about family mm-hmm. – that's the intention of the marriage is to build a right. this unit, this thing, this yes. family thing. And I don't think people give any thought to that. <laughs> they talk about their relationship and the wonder of the mm-hmm. relationship, the relationship, the relationship and the romance. Like, no, 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 no. You've now formed an economic and social and committed yes. unit for essentially for child rearing as much as anything else. And people are like, mm, yeah, well, hmm. yeah. As long as we're having fun. It's like, really? I, I agree. I agree. It's almost become a. Uh, a novelty thing, like let's get married, you yeah. know, because we should, because we're gonna have a great wedding, we're gonna have great pictures, and 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 you your relationships, what have they been like? Do you mind me asking? No, that, okay. no, not if at I all. If I'm getting anything you don't want to talk about, just wave me off. It's all good. But you, did you start having romantic relationships in high, childhood? I in, did in high school, rather when you were. I did. So I talked about the divorce, uh. and I talked about my desire to find love myself, and I too made a very impulsive decision. And when I was uh, 19 years old, I was engaged and I was pregnant with my daughter. And by I had her when I was 20. Uh, before I turned 21, I was a single mother. W- would it be accurate to say that you were I, – I, you've, you've mentioned how you were searching for that family. And I yes. Think that's part of that. Absolutely. But, but it always feels to me when kids do that impulsively, it feels like an escape route of some type too. They're, they're escaping something to, into that fantasy. Was there something you were escaping to or was it just strictly reaching for that fantasy? I don't think it was escaping anything because I I definitely had – I feel like I had a great relationship with my mother. I had a great relationship with my father. 
two of the most amazing people I've ever met in this world. So I certainly didn't lack anything from them. So I didn't feel like I was escaping. But I do think that I was desperate to find that family okay. that I lost at seven. Got it. So I was trying to replace it for yes. sure. Got it. And I know that now. I didn't know that then. How did you learn it? Uh, <laughs> through beating my head against a brick wall, probably enough times, um, making an impulsive decision like becoming engaged to a guy that you know you're not going to marry. Right. And worst off, having a child with someone. No, and, and I know yes. you don't. Re- no one ever regrets the child. You know what I mean? No, but but, right. they, but they do learn from these relationships. Absolutely. These but these you don't learn from one. So I'm wondering how many more you had to go through <laughs> to, to, before you banged your head that off. That is so funny. <laughs> yeah. um, you have great questions. Um, I, I'm proud to say I absolutely learned my lesson. From one? From one. Wow. I have one child. No, no. I don't mean so much the uh, getting pregnant again, but I yes. mean in terms of having other romantic no, relationships I had that one don't bad boy in my life. Wow. I had one that bad boy in my life. speaks volumes. That's I had one. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's... That makes sense in, in sense of because most nineteen twenty year olds have that fantasy, but right. they don't go all the way to the marriage piece. Right. But you were seeking I was, that. I so was desperately. right there. Yeah, yeah, yes. I get it. And I almost got married because yeah. I had this kid and I felt guilty and I've made this poor decision for her and yeah. how am I going to fix this? So I almost did it, but um, I didn't. And I think I didn't is because. And this is really important. I think for young women who grow up with their fathers. They are taught something. They are instilled some stuff. Love, self-worth. When they have a relationship with dad. When you have a relationship with dad. And what does that mean, relationship with dad? Meaning that, um, you know, my father was, in my opinion, the greatest man to ever walk the earth. So my father told me every day that I was beautiful, that I was worthy, that I was capable, that I deserved only the best in life, right? And I think... In my in my obsession with finding my own family, I lost sight of that. Of what he was telling you. Of all of his teachings. I lost sight of that for a moment in time. Was he in your life every day? Every day. That already every is, day. is what you're talking about, I yes. think, too, is the presence of Father. Yes. As much as... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So... You, you not only have the presence, you also have the, the, the blessing of somebody who's really positive, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think... After I went through that experience, and I like to think I woke up, right? I thought to myself, what was I thinking? Sure. Like, I have this amazing example of a black man and what he's supposed to be and what a father is and what, you know, I aspire to have in a husband. What was I thinking? Well, you were thinking about every 19-year-old thing. (laughs) Right? I was lusting, right? Yeah. And so, like, I mean, literally, I had great bounce back. Um, And then I, I, I pretty much... Uh, buried myself in my career and raising this amazing little girl. Obviously, born fruit on all fronts. Uh, you can follow Diane at dianevalentine.com or follow her on Twitter at Diane with no E, D I A N N, Valentine. Um, what is the show about, the TV show? The show is called To Roam for Love. And it's about uh, I take five African American women to Rome. Um, to live together in a villa for five weeks to date Italian men. How'd, how's that go? <laughs> it's fantastic. What'd you learn? Um, what did I learn or what did they learn? Both. Okay. Um, Tell me about them first. Okay. 
So the the diversity of the show is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, because we have everyone from 20-year-old, 25-year-old is the youngest, and 51-year-old is the oldest. And they're all black women. All black women. And they're all with different kinds of life experiences. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Come from different parts of the U.S. Some um, some were divorced. Um, some had never been married. Some had been in abusive relationships. They, but they all had been very unlucky in love. Um, the other thing is that these women had to deal with severe stereotypes that come with being a black woman in America. We're, 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 what do you mean? Oh, you yeah. don't know about it. Well, us. no, no. Well, I, I, <laughs> I know kind of what they are, but I want to know what they had to deal with, okay. what, what they experienced. You know um, I mean? That they felt invisible when it came to black men. That, wow. Uh, yeah, that they were often told they were too aggressive. And that, they were, that's the stereotype you hear about yes, that kind of thing. They were too bossy. Uh, they were too driven. Um, all of these things that make that really destroy black women at the core of who we are. And so it chips away at our self-esteem. And so you you end up becoming broken adult women. And when you're broken, you cannot be available to even be the perfect mate for someone else. So this show That's a heartbreaking story you're you're painting. Well, I, it it is, but it's not a woe is me sad I, story. I get that. Listen, Definitely listen, not. Black women have borne a <laughs> I don't know how to describe We are the, the strongest burden. women on the planet. I, I n- believe that. I agree, and I don't think many people are going to disagree with that. Right. But but it's still kind of poignant or heartbreaking to hear that Yes. Th- these phenomenon that are still amongst us. Yes. are chipping away at your experience of yourself. Yes, your yes. And and we as black women, we don't get an opportunity to to be with that and to deal with that pain of that kind of Do you share it amongst rejection. yourselves? Well, we do. Do you? Yeah, I mean, we so share it amongst up. ourselves. However, it's never shared, I think, in an emotional context. It's shared almost as if Oh, but I'm fine. You know, sure. I don't need that situation. You know, we rarely dig deep into our emotional well-being and deal with our issues because life and being a black woman in America doesn't allow us to do that. Does it now? No, absolutely not. Don't we need it to? Yes, we need it to. And does, does this, does your book and the show, does it move that conversation forward? Yes, think? it does. Tell me how. Um, the show is about transformation, okay. and it's about self-love and self-awareness and also accountability. It's about these women recognizing some of what I like to call blind spots, right? So in life, we have those areas in our lives where we just can't see. Give me an example in this show where something like that comes out. Okay, so- and Is this because the Italian men are calling it out? <laughs> no, You no. call it out amongst yourselves? I call it out. You call it I out. Tend okay. to, I tend to be the one that, to call it out. Got it. So one of our girls, um, I'll use her as an example, mm. right? But she um, was used to meeting guys, falling in love very quickly, very fast, very deep, mm. and giving everything, giving her life, so giving that's, that's all her love, money, giving, you know, yeah. just giving all her stuff yeah, away. Yeah. And then he comes back and he's got a kid and he's got another woman. And then she finds a way to even stay with the guy, oh, right? Man. So that's a that's an issue of self-love, of lack of self-love, mm. right? So for me, it's like that's a blind spot that she had. And I could sit her down and I could tell her, you know, you've got some real deep-seated issues. You need to do this and you need to do that. Or I can simply provide a, myself as a mirror mm. and show her herself, show her her own behavioral patterns because now she's empowered. Now she can make a conscious decision that, huh, I see this. 
and I didn't see it before, but now I see it. And because I see it, I'm powerful enough that I can make changes in my life. This mirroring phenomenon, do do you meet resistance with that? Oh, of course. Yeah. How do you because get through that? Because when you show people themselves, well, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, they're defensive. It is very uncomfortable. Well, I think the great you, thing about our show is that I did have five weeks with the ladies. So I had five weeks to build that trust. And then do you see them behaving differently in the, with the yes. men? Yes, yes. And, and why did you choose Italian men? Oh, <laughs> I, I think that I've had a love affair with Italy for 25 years or so. I first went in my in my early 20s, and I just fell in love with the country and the culture um, and fashion and the architecture and all of that. And I've probably taken over, you know, 25 trips to Italy over the years. What's your favorite city? Florence. Oh, yeah. Firenze. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and about five years ago, I started um, taking girlfriends to Italy to date Italian men, and I started hooking women up on dates, and they started uh, having lots of success. So you mentioned what black women have had to endure in this country you're talking about, right? Yes. Is is some of that what you call a stereotype? Is that wiped free when you start in Italy? Or are there other things you have to contend with there? Um, that's a great question because... Or, or do the women just carry it with them anyway? And so it comes out and other, you know, that burden comes out in some weird way. Well, the, the thing is the women are who they are, right? As adults, right? Yeah. The very few. We're not going to make massive changes in our lives, right? But we can make adjustments. Now, the things that are considered a negative stereotype about black women in the U.S., like we're too, you know, aggressive, you know, we're too bossy, all of those things, Italian men find that quite attractive, right? Great. So they were able to go somewhere, and those same characteristics were now celebrated. That's got to be great. It was fantastic. Does that come through on the show? That's got to be fun. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, when is, it, is it out now? Yeah, we premiere Sunday night, January so, 7th. January 7th. January yes. 7th at 9 on Bravo. Go, yes. go see it. I can't wait to see it. It'll be very interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's it, fascinating. It, it feels like, do, do African-American women respond to you as somebody who's I don't know how to say this and with clarity, mm-hmm. uh, going down a road that is truly helpful for them. Um, I mean, do they appreciate that what you're trying to do? I believe that the ladies saw that. I don't mean just your subjects, but I mean, is, are you as a person on television, are you appreciated for the oh, trying, for sure. trying to pull this curtain back a little bit? Take a Absolutely. Look no, for sure. Yeah. I think that I am a trusted girlfriend. Amongst women, and not just black women, you know, amongst women, is that I've been in the business of love for over 20 years. I live it. I breathe it. But but just like people mm-hmm. are defensive about their their shit, <laughs> their, right? their own stuff, <laughs> communities sometimes be sensitive, too. When you start digging into stuff, they're like, ah, wait a minute, hold on. Right. But you're, you're not, it seems like you're not encountering that. There's sort of an appreciation more. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't. I haven't met that kind of resistance. And I think, you know, it's really, and you know this, it's not what you say, but it's often how you say it, mm-hmm. right? So if my come from is one of love and my come from is one of sisterhood, then, you know, you, you can't be mad at that. You know what I mean? I, I've become a confidant for my clients, um, for girlfriends, for just women in general. What's interesting to me is you, we started this conversation by talking about how there were no role models for you when you were growing up, and yet you have become potentially that for upcoming black women, right? That is true. That what, is true. What do you think the next generation is going to be dealing with? Do you have a sense of that yet, or do you get Gen Xers or Yers or whatever they are now, Zs or Zs? Yeah, or? I think that the biggest problem that millennials are, are going to be faced with is they're not going to know how to handle rejection. 
because they live right now in a microwave society and social media makes everybody believe that you can have anything you want instantly. Yeah. Right here, right now. And that's just not the case. So things are too disposable. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they lack they lack loyalty, they lack real relationships. I heard a word this morning that did an e show called cuffing. Heard the word cuffing? I have heard of cuffing. I've not heard of cuffing this morning. <laughs> so they, they suddenly get interested in getting cuffed or, or cuffing or whatever. Yeah. When they sort of burn out on social media, is that how it works or do they You know, I, I, I've heard cuffing season has to do with the weather. <laughs> I heard that too. Yes. I heard that this so morning. Somebody gets cold. I, I did that, yes. It's like, come on. People want to be together. Very weird. <laughs> I'm pleased to welcome Hydrolyte back to our program. Hydrolyte is not only a product that I can safely recommend. It's something that I use all the time. In fact, I have some sitting in front of me right now. It is the best oral rehydration product I have ever tried. In fact, in one event, the same thing myself, and they got there first. And I was sick this week, and I'm taking Hydrolyte. It keeps me hydrated as well as anything the better, better than any way I can possibly get hydrated. This is it. And at this time of year, it's impossible. Everyone's getting sick, right? They knock you down. It's Staying hydrated is a crucial part of it. So even if you manage to avoid this, obviously, if you get it, it's crucial you take hydrolate. But if your schedule's half as busy as mine, then staying hydrated is also important. Getting those eight glasses of water in a day is almost impossible. Beauty of hydrolite is whether you're sick or not, you can benefit from the proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water. And hydrolite does this better than any sports drink and certainly better than water alone. Comes in great flavors, orange berry lemonade, and available as a pre-mixed drink, a powder, or my personal preference is the effervescent fizzy tablets. Simply drop in the water. I then dropped it in a bottle of water today, and by several of them, in fact, and I've been drinking it all day. Compared to sports drinks, hydrolite delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugar. Come on now. Hydrolite solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow dosing instructions. You can find hydrolite at Rite Aid or online at Amazon.com, and for a limited time, my listeners can save 30% on Hydrolite. Get some now. Just click the banner on my website at drdrew.com and use the code drdrew18, D-R-D-R-E-W-18 at checkout. That is drdrew.com. Click on the Hydrolite banner and then the code is drdrew18. Well, brushing your teeth is a very important part of your day and your overall health. And at Quip, they know and they've combined dentistry and design to make a better electric toothbrush. Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of the bulkier traditional electric brushes. Quip also comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsick. They've they've thought of everything design-wise. It's a great product. And because it cleans your mouth the way it should be cleaned, Quip's subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule. They deliver new brush heads every three months for just $5. That includes free shipping worldwide. And Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals. It includes dentists, hygienists, dental students. Most toothbrushes do not get named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of the year, but Quip did. So it starts at just $25. Go to getquip.com slash Drew right now, and you'll get your first refill pack for free. That is, again, that first refill pack for free at getquip.com, Q-U-I-P, getquip.com slash Drew. Not Dr. Drew, just Drew. Getquip.com slash Drew. And when you do, Quip will even give you tips on oral care that you probably never knew. And the Quip toothpaste they provide tastes fresh, strengthens teeth, and gives your mouth a perfect, minty, clean feel. That's right. Quip's subscription model is a thoughtful, inexpensive solution for people who want to make it easy to keep up and do right dentally and health-wise. Quip has been called the Apple, Warby Parker, and Tesla of toothbrushes. So get to it. 
Go to getquip.com slash Drew. I know what I wrote down. I wanted to ask you about this, mm-hmm. which was you mentioned earlier luckiness, being lucky in love or unlucky in love. Yes. And I would bet that that you don't really mean that because you sort of know you, you've had a lot of experience with people. Mm-hmm. And you know it's whatever they're bringing that kind of creates some of the luck and unluck. And it seems this like you true. address some of that. This is true. Uh, so if somebody is unlucky, mm-hmm. let's say, how do you get through that to help them own whatever it is that's sort of contributing to that pattern? Yeah. You know, I I talked a little bit about this notion of becoming a mirror, right? And I think that people can't see themselves. They can't see their bad behavior or their... What do you say? Do you say, do you use like questioning or do you say, I saw you doing the following. Are you aware of that? Is is that, is you very direct with it or no? It's a lot of observing. And then like, for example... You show a video of what they did? No, didn't do video, right? But for example, the ladies would go on dates. And then they would, they, I'd come back and be like, okay, great. Tell me about the date. How was it? Now, I'd already known a lot of what was happening on the date. Sometimes I was a spy on some of those dates. So I, I had a good idea of, of how the behavior was happening on the dates. And then they'd come back and they'd tell me about the date. And i go, oh, that's really interesting. Now, he seems very similar to so-and-so. Or did you tell me when we met that you'd meet this guy and you would do this? Yeah, so, so I would kind of use yeah. their we, we, words. There's actually a word for that in, in treatment. It's called therapeutic wonderment. Oh. It's like, hmm, is that, <laughs> like that, is, is that like that other guy? I don't, even though you know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, that is that same dude all over again. Hey, but right. you're like, hmm. Right. Did didn't you tell me about That's, uh, That is exactly that, what I would that, do. Well, clearly you've had a lot of experience with people because – that's how you get through. That that's wow. That is, it's a word called therapeutic wonderment. Therapeutic wonderment. Yeah, I gotta the, use that. You do use <laughs> it. You, you can just call. You can describe it as such because you're already using it. <laughs> Thank you. And and it's it 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 it, it keeps people from getting defensive because ah. if you come at them straight on and go, there you go again. They same kind of dude. They're like, right. uh uh-uh, The <laughs> right. force fields up as opposed to. Huh. Wow. That, that seems to me like, mm. didn't you say something about And then they're like <laughs> obliged to think it through themselves. And wow. guess what? It's hard for them to deny it when they come wow. to the same conclusion. I guess I've learned a lot from watching yeah. you on TV. No, no. You've learned a lot from your <laughs> clients. And, then, and that's, yeah. you know, that's very important to keep, to, to learn. And and I'm imagining your, your sort of, mm, I don't want to call it a therapeutic style, but your style yeah. has changed a lot over the years as you've learned, have you learned about people. Yes. Is, and I'm sure you get this question a lot too. Is there sort of one primary organizing phenomenon you see people clinging to or getting stuck in or you know, so you, there's sort of a more common phenomenon that people are dealing with these days? See, you're, these women particularly, mm-hmm. the women that are your clients. So is there sort of one – core issue or common issue or recurrent issue? There is. Yeah. There, there, there tends to be a commonality amongst women that really struggle in matters of the heart, mm-hmm. shall we say. Mm-hmm. And it tends to be either the absence of a father mm-hmm. or the lack of that influence and relationship with their dad. 100%. It's it's always it's the one thing that I can thread through. Yeah. Adam, with I used every to always girl. say, "Hey, gentlemen, uh, you want to give that you leave your you don't you don't pay attention to your daughters? 
good on you. That's going to be the rest. Absolutely. You're, you're burdening them the rest of their lives. The rest this. of their lives. Yeah. They the, the rest of their lives. They will be looking for, searching, hunting for that love that was missing when they were a little girl. And it, and that is the that is the point I was making about myself. How I was able to autocorrect. I was like, wait a minute. I'm Richard Valentine's daughter. He treated me like a queen. Right. Why did Why did I possibly think I deserved less? Right. And, and by the same token, what happens is is that the connection with that original abandoning father is still a kind of a map for what they want. Absolutely. What so they find the same kind of guy that Absolutely. abandoned them in the first place. And yes. guess what? These guys in the real in current. <laughs> In their current life, too, is they abandon them. They just abandon like, them again, just like that. Absolutely, did. and and if they find a guy that's actually available, then they'll sabotage it. Yes, they will. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I had to point out to some of the girls, you know, during our time together, was, you know, as they were going through certain things, one of my girls was really, really, really still hooked on her ex husband, and so. You know, she was just trying so hard to please him. And one day, I finally asked her, "Is like." How long did you try to please your dad? You know, like 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 when? When did you stop trying to please him or when did you, you know, when did you give up? What she say? She just started crying and she, it was she, like she never gave up. You know, it was that was her issue. And I saw it from the first day, but you know, I didn't have that conversation until now, a few weeks in. There's there's a certain amount of resistance uh, historically, certainly in the African American community, with for just reason because mental health services has, have often ill served that community. Right. But some of that historical sort of stink still stays on mental health. Do you ever recommend these women get any kind of treatment or Absolutely. therapy? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do they do they resist? Of course. Mm. Of course. How do you get through that? Well, I I think that's. That's how I kind of see myself, right? So I'm not a clinical, you know, a technician at all. But I do think because I have become a girlfriend and a confidant with so many women, I think that they listen to me. And so I think in in many instances, I've been a buffer between them and a therapist, or I've been the person that kind of softened them up. And to be fair, there are Mm -hmm. armies of African-American therapists that can be deeply sensitive to these issues. And so they, they they can't use that as a... No. As a you know, reason for no. not doing it any longer. It's a huge stigma in our community. That now, explain that to me. Help me understand that because I, I, that's something that's bothered me for a long time. Really? Well, why should – I understand the history that has right? been bad. It was a long time ago. Let's let's get through that. Okay. But the stigma part is the part I don't understand because it ma- it makes me sad. It's just like it's a health problem, just like any health problem. Why do you res- why do people have to feel bad about getting problems with a health issue? And I understand part of it is we'll just go to church, right? <laughs> just get to church and they'll be fine. And 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 to some extent. That does work sometimes. Yes. But sometimes you have a, a health issue and needs doctors. It's true. Yeah. But but to understand that, you got to kind of understand the history of African-Americans in this country. Tell right? Me. Tell because me church is the only safe place we've ever had. It's the only place we can go and not be lynched yeah. and not be you know shot at, uh, not be arrested for driving black. Right. So church is a very safe place for African-Americans. You know, the the other thing is if you, again, just look at the history of of black women and black men in particular. But since we're talking about black women, so we have never been allowed to be vulnerable. And what I mean by that is we've always had to be strong, You've had to hold up, hold yeah. the family together, yeah. yes. figure out how to make a meal out yeah. of a bag of potatoes for the next seven days. Yeah. Keep your kids safe. Don't let them get killed on the streets and pretend like everything is perfect when you're forced to do it all by yourself. Yeah. 
because for whatever reason, whether it's the mass incarceration of black men, the unavailability of black men, there just are not an equal proportionate of black men to black women. So you have many mothers doing it alone. Mm -hmm. So when you deal with that and you're forced to carry that kind of weight, you can't help but bury your feelings. I, I understand that. Yes. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on that and say, well, God, there are armies of people that would be happy to help. Why not? I understand right. admitting your vulnerability is tough when yes. you, can't, you have to seem invulnerable. Right. But there are places other than the church you can go and be vulnerable. It is. Without, without anybody seeing the cracks. You know what I mean? That is true. But, of course, that would be your perspective. Yeah, yeah. Because no, well, that's you, why I'm pushing back. Right? That's why so I you, 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 you weren't born I get it. with the weight but that do, we have. I get it. Yes. So I ha- but I, I understand it, but I mm-hmm. want to know how – because, again, there's more heartbreak to me that people who could really be benefited from stuff don't get yes. it. How do, we, how do we help that? You, you help that because of when there are more people in our community that can become a bridge and a conduit like yourself. for our community. Like yourself. Yes. Yeah. It has to come from within the community. I, I agree. Well, well, but, which is why I said there, there are armies of African-American yes. professionals out there. Now. Yes. But there's Army. still the stigma that you, you're okay. You know, the, the, the issue is that you have to be strong. Black woman, black man. You cannot show any sign of weakness because you have to keep the family together. So you're not allowed to be weak. You're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to say you have anything wrong with you. So when you when you just from generations, right? You're but taught that but as a survival but, technique. But see, I, what I'm saying is, and mm-hmm. I, I understand it, and but I don't experience it because I'm not come from it, right? B- but isn't it time to let that generational phenomena kind of ease a little bit and, and help people that in ways that can be helped without that generational burden being put on them too. I, I yeah. do think I do think it's absolutely time. But keep in mind, Dr. Drew, we have only had civil rights for one generation. I get it. I get it's a new thing. I, but, I, but hear me. We've been enslaved for 400 years. Yeah. We've had civil rights for 50 years. Yeah. And the world expects us to figure it out. No. Just like that. I think that's wrong. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, and that is not. It's it's a difficult it, thing. It, it is, and, and and it's something that needs to be talked about openly. Absolutely, and, and absolutely, so, so for that, sure. That's why I like talking about it because it's not really fully explored publicly Agreed. very much, and, and and I don't understand why not. Yeah. Well, I do understand why not because you, for the very reasons you're you're, right. you're painting, but but I still feel like it's like. <laughs> We have to kind of push the conversation yeah. a little bit. And no, it's it's heartbreaking. It it's heartbreaking. heartbreaking. And, it's and one of the things that I really address on the show is that for, for black women who grew up and didn't grow up with their dads for whatever reason, right, and now have been what you call, quote, unquote, unlucky in love, for them to... For them to have experiences with black men in the U.S. where they have been rejected or ignored or they feel invisible or they've been abandoned, that is devastating for black women. Yeah. It is absolutely devastating. And it sets us back. And it not only sets them back, it sets their daughters back as well. Right. Right? Are African-American women expressing that to the men? No, because yeah. I don't think they know how. Mm. I don't think they know how. Wow. You know, and I, I, I certainly don't have all the answers, but I do believe that each one teach one. Have you? Yes. Well, and, and right? only people like you can do it, right? I, you know <laughs> what I mean? It, it, but I, they've read that book by the that African-American uh, law professor at Stanford. I forget what it's called. You guys have to help me, Gary. It, it's about, it may be about African-American marriage. But it, it, it talks about why there's lack of availability of black men and about part of the 
the phenomenon mm-hmm. is that black women are exceeding success so successful and exceeding yes. so much in education and professional training that there's the men are feeling are being sort of left behind. Absolutely. Even so, there's there's this weird there's a huge unin- disparity. This unintended consequence of black women continuing to strive to be better on part of yes. men, and then men going, "Oh well, I can't keep up with you." Yeah, she doesn't need me. <laughs> right. You know. Right. Now, funny. She I didn't, doesn't need I didn't, me. I didn't think about it that right? way. Right. She does. Men think that we don't need them. Right, and I'm not sure if that's what they're actually feeling. I mean, that's what you're well, feeling, generally speaking. I mean, that's right? what you're feeling just as generally women, generally speaking. I, I wonder if they're just men are just feeling. I feel diminished because they're so successful. Oh, absolutely, and I, and I think that non-black women, women of other ethnicities, don't have the same weight on their shoulders. Yes. So they come into relationships softer. And more feminine. Oh, so is that where some of this yes, is coming from? Yes, ab- absolutely. And they're they're less confrontational because they don't have to fight uh-huh. in the workplace. They don't have to fight for you know the glass ceiling to be shattered. They can simply just be. Very interesting. Right? And yeah, so yeah. when you look at the comparison as a black man, you go, here I've got this angry woman here on my left who's this beautiful black girl, but then I've got this sweet little... Latina, who's just the best cook in the world, and she just never opens her mouth. <laughs> that sounds unchallenging. <laughs> when you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. A lot of times, that is not the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they are not available. Now, with True Car, of course, I'm talking about True Car, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a TrueCar certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Yeah, you know, and we talk about it all the time. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. Next, TrueCar, TrueCar.com or TrueCar app will show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. Over 3,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers are available nationwide. You will get to work directly with a TrueCar Certified Dealer that you may contact with. And TrueCar users are more likely to enjoy a faster, better buying experience when they contact a TrueCar Certified Dealer. And on average, you can expect to save over $3,000 off MSRP. Once you register, you'll see a real price on actual inventory. Hook up with that TrueCar certified dealer. Have a better buying experience. TrueCar, go to the TrueCar.com or TrueCar app. Do what I'm telling you. The book is called, his book is got a guy named Professor Ralph Richard Banks. The book is called, Is Marriage for White People? How African-American oh. Marriage Decline Affects Everyone. Wow, I haven't years read ago. that. It's a really good book. I need to get it. It's a little bit old. It's about four or five years old now. Okay. But, but I read it and I was like, oh my God, I had no idea. It really opened wow. my eyes. And and what it opened my eyes, oh, this is going to sound weird, but the uh, the my other <laughs> my other road into what African-American women have to deal with, uh-huh. this is going to sound may, – maybe it will sound perfect sense to you or maybe it will sound outrageous to you. But I was doing a daytime talk show. Who was I doing it with? I forget who my co-host was with. But we did a show on black women and their hair. Oh. And a whole world opened up to me and I went, oh my god, I had no idea you're dealing with this. Yeah. And, and again, silently – Individually, just this whole thing. Yes. And a lot of it was, again, a generational thing was raining down yep. and not talked about. Yeah. Because we, and I, and I thought we then, can't I thought talk to, about it. Well, I thought to then, when I first learned, I thought to myself, 
I will talk about that whenever somebody's like yourself. I had a feeling yeah. you'd be willing to talk about this stuff. For stuff. sure. Yeah, and I, I thought this is somebody that's going to make a difference in all this. And it's and that's, healthy to talk about it. That's why I wanted it you here. It is so this healthy whole, to talk this about This whole it. thing, this whole phenomenon that you're cracking open fascinates me, and, and I just commend you for dig, digging into it with openness and an open you. heart and clarity yes. and – Willingness and, and keeping the conversation going. My one, my question. Uh, well, we can talk about women and their hair if you want, but that was a whole. That was a <laughs> oh thing. my god, that's that a whole was, other show. That was a thing. But Believe I learned, me, as a personality, I have my own horror stories I, about I, my I hair. Get it. And I was learned mostly not to touch. <laughs> so just do not touch. And I thought, okay, got it, got that. <laughs> Italian men learn that quickly well, too. So that was my other question: is what, what what is it about these Italian men you think that allows for this to be? So different. I, I just, other than the fact that they yes. find the the uh, I'm going to call it assertiveness because aggressive already has too much of a negative connotation. It's true. The, the, your strength and your yes. assertiveness somehow appealing, which it should be to everybody, right? But what else? What else is about Italian men that that opened this whole thing up? And then, well, you know, if you think about just the sheer fact that there are not a lot of African American women in Italy, so, so it's sort of right? a novelty, right? So it's just it. from a from a pure numbers perspective, yeah. black women in Italy stand out. You know, like a red stop sign, and they are met with um, lots of offers. Great, shall we say? How fun! Um, I also think that now we talked about black women being angry, right? But we haven't talked about the stereotypes of black men. Yeah, the fact that that they also carry a tremendous weight on their shoulders for just being black in America. Well, and and let's uh, other than in a. In addition to the burden that is present in in our current day, right? The generational stuff that you mentioned earlier is massive. Yes, it's just massive. It is. It is massive. And, and but, I, again, not talked about. Right, and so, it's not talked about. Yeah. But these women go to Italy, and they're met with Italian men that are very affectionate and have no. N- reference or knowledge no. of all this stuff no. it must be, it must be they refreshing don't. just it to be is. free of it like yes, freeing, right? yes they 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 are in an in an environment where the italian men um are very complimentary they are show pda very openly they're very affectionate they're very but it's, but it's flirtatious un, it's like it's unencumbered by yes, all this stuff it doesn't we have, here have in america. right yeah, yeah. it doesn't have the same weight yeah. that Black men are faced with having to be so tough and be uh, so strong and don't cry. Yeah. So you, you put these women in Italy and they're met with men that are really like them, that are affectionate. But but also it, it must be – when I say unencumbered, I mean just n- not even just as men, but women must feel unencumbered too. This is like – it's like – it's like that generational stuff we've been talking about. It's yes. like kind of pulling you out of yes. that and plopping you in somewhere else. Absolutely. Which is – that must be – do they talk about that being that – Yes. Fe- well, that must be very Yes. Very it was – It was. It, that's the part that became really transformative is that these women began to see themselves how these Italian men saw them. They started to believe that they were worthy now, and l- to believe l- that they were beautiful. Uh, may I ask another question that might mm-hmm. be crazy? Why not – why don't more black women move to Italy or the places <laughs> where they're – <laughs> they're free of some of this stuff, right? Well, well, the thing is, I don't. I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to say that all black so, women should move to Italy. No, I understand, but right? it's, a, it's a viable question. Though, it isn't is. A, it? it is a viable yeah. question. I mean, it's like, if, I mean, at, at the surface, it's like, well, why doesn't you know nobody wants to leave their family and their you know, right, like, There's a right. whole thing to that, but 
Right. But, but you would think at least some would. <laughs> that could be relatively common. Well, you know, it was an opportunity for them to see the world through fresh eyes. I get it. You know? I completely get it. Yes. And they could they could finally see themselves, how other people saw them, not and other non-American people saw them. Yeah, just lack of encumbrances, lack of yes. those old patterns and things. Too. Yes. And then you could call out the patterns where they got in, where, they, where, they, yes. where it bled in. Yeah. And and will the viewer come to see all this as well? Ah, yes, they will. They'll they'll be able to see. I think the full journey yeah. of of these women and how they've gone from day one to the day the night we say goodbye. How are they doing now? Can you tell us, or is that is that a secret? <laughs> is that I can't say where they are in their love lives, but I do. I have spoken with all of them, and they're great, and they are grateful for the experience. So there's some continued effect. Of yes, all of that, that's the part I'm looking for. Is yes. This is, you said it was transformative. Yes. And so, it, you know, it's something. Yes. It, it's, it, you know, change is hard and, and maintaining change is sometimes the hardest part. It's even harder. Yeah. I think that the great thing about, you know, going through something like this on television is you do relive it when it airs. That's right. Right? So it's a great reminder of where you were and where you ended up. And I, if you've fallen back into that, you, know you get what? to autocorrect. It's funny you bring that up, but that has not been studied, right? Because lots of things of sort of therapeutic style shows have happened on television. Right. And I've heard that over and over again, that seeing it again, it's like, oh, no, no, you, you really, you see yourself. Yes. You, your defenses are brought down even further. You're re-reminded of things mm-hmm. and, it, and it motivates. Yeah. So what's next for you? Diane Valentine. Going the distance for love. That's where you, I'm at next. And is, it, is there another TV show or is there another season of Rome for Love um, where you have to go? Fingers crossed. Or is it going to be Rome <laughs> Paris for Love next or uh, Mozambique for you Love? Know, or from your mouth to God's ears, let's hope. I, I, I can only hope that much. It has to be. It has to be, right? That's right? what I say. Yeah. I think that the show is really going to be a departure from the way that black women are seen on reality television. It's not going to be a group of women fighting and disrespectful and demeaning each other. I think they had their challenges of living together in a villa for five weeks, as anybody would. That'd be fun. Yes, right? (laughs) But, you know, the outcome was, you know, a sisterhood that was created. That's pretty cool. And a different kind of show that features black women on TV. All right. So the book is Going the Distance for Love. The website is dianevalentine.com. The show is To Rome for Love, Sundays at 9 on Bravo. Really interesting talk, Di. I appreciate I appreciate the effort you're making, and I appreciate your openness in, in talking about this material because it – I don't know. I hope you keep talking. Maybe the next book. Yeah. Maybe I'll dig a little deeper. Let's do – there was that book, by the way, uh, on African-American hair. Gary, help me about this. <laughs> women's hair, black women's hair. Another book. Also, I read it as part of the preparation for that TV show. I did, and really? I was like, holy crap. Oh, it's idea. a whole thing. But but again, you may have a new perspective in all this. Yeah. You know, so I hope you'll keep writing about it. So. Yes. All right. Gary, it's our, you got it? The politics of a black woman's hair? Maybe. By no, I don't think so. Thesa Prince? No, it doesn't sound mm-hmm. right. It was something a little different. It was like more like black women and their hair. Hair matters, yeah. beauty, power, yeah. and black women's yeah, consciousness. Yeah, I think it was hair matters. Oh. That was it. Yeah, yeah, I think that was it. It's a whole thing. It's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. But and now I, we get to go on TV and just be Issa Rae. In our full blackness. There you go. Yes. So uh, I I wish you good luck going forward and thank Thank you for joining us and I'll see you all next time. 
For call-in times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com.